Hello, romantics. Welcome to It Pod to Be You, the Talk Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mather, and each episode I'll be chatting with a guest about one of their favorite romantic comedies from classics to modern hits. My guest today is Mike Schindler. How are you? Doing okay. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Really, uh, really excited to talk about the movie um, that we have for today. Would you like to introduce it for us? Sure. It's Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the, the Doug Lyman movie from 2005 with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Yeah, you know, I remember watching this movie in the theater. Like it was, um, it was like for like my cousin's graduation party. Like the next day after the party, we all went to go see this movie, and um, and I remember just being like so, like um, yeah, just so uh, blown away by their chemistry. And then you know, I I'm trying to remember if like all the behind this, like all the behind-the-scenes stuff had come out, like, before the movie came out or after, but um, I just remember being like, oh, okay, this is, like, like they are a, uh, like, movie star couple in the making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but do you remember the first time you saw the film? Yeah, first time I saw it uh, was the night before it came out. Um, I was a projectionist at the time, and we were showing the movie, and I was really looking forward to it because I was really impressed with most of Doug Lyman's work up until that point, especially Go, I think, is is kind of a masterpiece. And um, so I couldn't wait to see this. You know, it looked right up my alley. And the first time I watched it, I I liked it, but I wasn't blown away by it. I was like, yeah. ah, you know, this is it's fine, you know? And then, you know, the next day at work and throughout the weekend, like, we were selling out of this thing in like a 500 seat theater you know and i'm like Mm -hmm. what's going on here and then you know i'd go down to the to the theater and you know watch bits and pieces of it like with a a packed house and they were like so into it you know like really you know laughing at all the jokes and everything and i'm like okay i'm i'm missing something here i need to check this out again so you know on sunday or monday of that weekend i went to watch it again and that's when it really clicked for me and you know picking it up on video and you know hearing the the commentaries and stuff and and uh then seeing the the director's cut later on it it really just sort of my my appreciation for it has has just grown uh over the years so yeah you know it's it's so funny like um, for some reason, over the last 15 years or so, I remembered not, like, I remember thinking that, like, the movie was more interesting because of the the stars and all the drama, you know, that came from their relationship. Mm-hmm. And but remember thinking the movie, like, didn't take as much advantage of their charisma together. For some reason, I, th- I rem- remember this movie not having as much... Um, 
like scenes between the two of them, which is totally wrong. And watching it mm. this time, I was really it's it's just I was really struck by how much I misremembered the movie and had such a like formed opinion about it and then was completely wrong. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um because I remember the for some reason I remember the last half hour taking up like almost half the movie. Cause I remember thinking in the theater being like oh, wow, the movie's over, and then it going on for another hour, which is um, not true at all. Actually, I feel like this movie um, really does take advantage of their chemistry and their star power. And um, But I totally can see like how... Uh, I can totally relate to your experience of it because like I feel like this movie is really good with the crowd, and it's also... A movie like I feel like it's like best remembered as like a collection of scenes. You know, you have like the tango scene, you have like the car chase, you have the final battle, and it's like all these all these really moments are really so striking. But um, yeah. but yeah, I just had such a like I was so pleasantly <laughs> surprised by how much I enjoyed the film. Like, what's your take on like Brad Pitt as an as an actor? Are you a fan of his um, or you know like? in terms of his career from from then until now yeah no i think he's great um i you know i i didn't quite like i i wasn't there for the the legends of the fall you know any of that stuff i probably i can't remember exactly what the the first thing that i think is probably like meet joe black you know i mean but even in that you know he's like really charismatic and stuff like that and then you know when you start to see him doing you know i don't know more I, I'm not going to say edgy mainstream stuff yeah. like Ocean's Eleven, but also like things like uh, um, Babel and stuff like that. You know, I mean, throughout his career, uh, he's made some really interesting choices, and it's clear that he's an amazing actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was looking through his career uh, yesterday online just to see if he had done any kind, any like. St- straightforward like romance or like romantic comedy you know like if he ever went through that you know like Matthew McConaughey Mm -hmm. you know phase where he was doing like a movie with you know Julia Roberts or you know any or Jennifer Aniston or anyone of those or Kate Hudson but he never did and he kind of escaped it and even like his romance movies like Mr. Mrs. Smith or Me Joe Black or Benjamin Button like they always have some sort of twist to them or some some other angle to it and uh, i think it's so fascinating because he's such a um such a movie star like he's he's charismatic on screen he's charismatic off screen he has that presence and he has i mean i, I also agree i think he's a t- amazing actor uh, i just watched ad astra again a few mm. days ago and was I just you know blown away by his performance in it and of course you know his work with tarantino as well yeah. But um and David Fincher, but I was just like, wow, like he never went through that phase of being that like marquee idol type guy, especially well, after he you know hooked up with sort of the auteur that he worked with in the two thousands and two thousand tens. I mean, I think that kind of came earlier in a sense. Like yeah. while while I didn't see Legends of the Fall, I do remember going into you know Suncoast Video and seeing you know the posters of which were literally just a shot of him with his shirt open, you know, yeah, just yeah. hanging out there with his long hair, and it's like, okay, yeah, he's total or, or they whoever someone is totally yeah. cashing in on his you know heartthrob status, you know, 
and I think he it surprised a lot of people when he started doing things like you know um, Fight Club or whatever you know Seven I think Seven's probably the one where people were like whoa wait a minute I thought this was Mr. Legends of the Fall you know and and that's kind of when he became like a quote unquote serious actor you know so it, it it happened whether or not he tried to I mean that's it, it happened but he quickly I guess outgrew it you know yeah and um, exactly like I, I don't even remember you know I mean I was I don't think I've ever seen Legend of the Falls or any of those earlier movies I think I I'm pretty sure the first movie I saw him in was Troy and then of course I, I went back to watch you know Seven and, and Fight Club but um yeah, I mean, I, it's he's such an interesting figure for me because he, like, his work as a producer is truly fascinating. Like, I really encourage listeners to look at all the movies that he's produced through his company and how much he's, like, making good on his, you know, star power and his goodwill. Not only choosing interesting movies to be in, but also, you know, really, really working hard to... Uh, make his production company diverse and inclusive. Um, And it's really something. And then, you know, watching a movie like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, it's, it's such a movie star performance. I mean, this movie really takes advantage of his charisma and um, his sense of humor. Like it's, I, is he's such a funny actor? I mean, of course he is. Like we, we know that like he's so funny in once upon a time in Hollywood and, um, you know, the Oceans movies, but in this, it's just like to see him kind of play that, to play kind of both sides of his persona as like the serious actor who's kind of mysterious, but also like this funny, charismatic movie star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, his co-star is Angelina Jolie. Similarly with her, I feel like I was taken aback by her star power in this movie. Because again, she's someone that I think of as being so you know, serious. I mean, her career as a filmmaker is so serious. I mean, she's making really important movies and, um, you know, taking on tough subjects. And uh, But to see her kind of play in this, like, studio system is so fascinating. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, she's a person who I, I guess I kind of caught on to later on in her career, too. Like, I knew her sort of, like, as a personality before I knew her as an actress when Gia came out. You know, there was Mm -hmm. a lot of press about that. I remember seeing, you know, big articles, you know, like cover stories on, you know, uh, what was it, Premiere Magazine or whatever (laughs) they had back then, you know. And then when Girl Interrupted came out and she started getting attention, I think she was nominated for that one. Then, you know, I think that's when she really kind of, you know, grab the spotlight you know for for a lot of these bigger movies you know like tomb raider and stuff like that um and i it's not that i you know disliked her performances in any of that earlier stuff i think it's more that i kind of disliked the movies that she was in you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think this is the first time where like a movie that she was in really clicked for me and um i mean certainly she's really really good in this yeah, she is. Um, you know, I, I I tweeted out uh, after I watched the movie, just like Angela Jolie is just so commanding, and uh, like as as much as like she's like in the tabloids and you know she's 
follow, gets followed around by paparazzi, whatever. Like, she has such a mystery to her, and it works really well in Mr. and Mrs. Smith because, um, as as much as this movie is kind of a two hander, I think it's told more from uh, Brad Pitt's perspective. So I feel like Angela Jolie is very unknowable in this movie in, in a lot of scenes and. You know, she kind of has that, like, glare that she gives where you know she's thinking something, you know she's plotting something, but mm-hmm. you're not quite sure what's on her mind. And, um, you know, if I, you know, I was I was reading, like, all the other actors that they had considered for the role. Like, I think Nicole Kidman was pretty much close to being yeah. in it or she had to drop out. And, I mean, I, Nicole Kidman is another actor where she's just so mysterious and alluring that I could totally see her in this role and doing really well in it. Um, but I really can't, like, I would not trade the Angela Jolie's performance in this movie. I think she's incredible in, in this movie. So funny and so mysterious, so sexy. Um, just, yeah, I mean, I, you know, the scene where they're doing the tango, I was like, this, I was like, this is so hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think no one could have, like, predicted the chemistry that they would have on screen, right? I mean... I think they really, I mean, you, you can say like, oh, they're great actors or whatever. But I mean, like that type of thing, you just, I think, luck into more than anything, right? Um, I mean, on paper, I would have been like, yeah, no, they should totally get Nicole Kidman because she's, you know, amazing and everything that she's in. But, you know, seeing the movie now, I can definitely see how Angelina Jolie was the better choice for this role. Yeah. Um, what are your favorite like moments or scenes or lines in the film? Um, you know, it's kind of weird. I for I mean, I, I I like a lot of it. You know, and and one of the things which you know kind of stands out to me is <laughs> the ending, which is weird because this is one of like two movies that was released in two thousand and five, which I really liked, and then they released director's cuts, which I prefer, but the director's cut took out like literally my most favorite thing in the movies and yeah. in this in this one it, it was the uh the the final shootout you know where they come out of the shed and they're like all right you know let's do this you know piece of cake whatever and then you know they in in the theatrical version you know the music from the the tango scene comes up and you know they're all moving in sync and it's yeah. like oh you know they're they, they've they've found their groove again or whatever and in the director's cut, they took the music out, you know, and it still, it still works. It's still probably my favorite scene in the movie, but I I think that the music really adds a lot to that scene. And maybe, I mean, you know, Doug Lyman is like, look, they're dancing. We get it. We get that they're dancing. Everyone, you know, we don't need to like hammer this, you know, over people's heads or whatever. And I see what he's saying. Like, the director's cut in general is, is much more sort of abstract than the theatrical cut. But I, I think that that's just it works so perfectly in that scene. And the way that the music and the scene cut together is is kind of flawless. So that's probably my favorite part, even though it's not in the movie anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know... Um... I, I have I've not seen the director's cut. I didn't even know that there was one. So I'm excited to talk more about that. Uh, because, you know, you say it's more abstract. Is that, um, do you mean that in a, like, positive sense? Or, yeah. In a, yeah. 
I mean, the thing about the director's cut, I mean, and it was marketed terribly because, you know, this was sort of the, the era of the unrated, you know, DVDs. Oh, God, and yeah. usually <laughs> that means like sticking in a couple of scenes that were taken out for good reason, you know. Yeah. And, you know, so this comes down, they're like, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, unrated. And I'm like, well, they made a big deal about how they had to cut stuff out in order to get a pg-13 so maybe yeah. they just stuck that stuff back in i don't know is is this going to be more of a replacement killer scenario where it just doesn't belong or is it going to be you know something uh more artistic and you know the marketing had absolutely no information about that at all but then on the dvd there's a commentary with uh doug lyman and his editor michael tronic where they break it down and they're like yeah well you know we we did this, you know, we put the, together the movie, we took the studio notes, we tested it, and they say that it had, like, higher scores than any movie in studio history, which it sounds like every movie has that, but whatever. Yeah. For whatever that means, <laughs> they were like, because of that, everyone agreed, like, let's not touch a thing because we don't want to break it. And that was the version that they released in theaters. However, you know, part of the, the deal there with doing that was that they would let Lyman do a director's cut for, for video. So what he did, um, you know, it, it's about five minutes longer, and I, and I honestly couldn't tell you, like, any specific scenes which were added. Um, like, some stuff like the sex scene is slightly longer mm-hmm. because of the... the uh, MPAA, but like I couldn't even tell you. You know, like there's a couple shots watching it where you're like, "Well, that goes on a little too long for a PG-13." But there's like nothing in it where it's like, "Whoa," you know. Um, but the big thing, aside from that that song being removed, which uh, I, I think was uh, an interesting choice, the the other thing is that um, there were only in the theatrical cut. There's only like two or three scenes in the movie which don't have either Angelina Jolie or Brad Pitt in them. I think there's like a scene, I mean, I, I haven't seen the, the theatrical in years, so you tell me, like, was there like a scene with like Keith David and Angela Bassett talking to each other or something like that? No, Angela Bassett is, um, I think all of her scenes were cut in the theatrical. Okay. Right. I remember hearing her voice, but I don't, yes. I don't believe she appeared on screen. Do you see Keith at David at all on screen? Or is it just in that weird video thing? I think it's just in that weird video thing. Okay. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to go back and check, but yeah, so, I think yeah. Okay, so I, so that's not one. I there were I think there were a couple scenes with Adam Brody, whatever yeah. it was. They were things which, they were scenes which kind of um, I don't know did a, a better job of explaining the plot. Like why are these people killing them? You know, like kind of that thing. Yeah, but yeah. he's but he's like none of these are needed and if we take them out then we have a movie where literally every single scene in the movie is about one or both of these characters so let's just do that and it'll be kind of much cleaner from like a character standpoint and i think that that's i mean that that was a really interesting choice and it works really well and you, you yeah. obviously don't miss the scenes because i can't even remember what they were <laughs> um but i mean that that was kind of like the the, the gist of it you know and and it, i think it it on the whole it works better the only change that i would make is i would add that music to the end yeah if if, if i could yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I was really pleasantly surprised by how much the two stars dominated the film and that there really wasn't a lot of fat to it in terms of like getting too plotty because i think this movie is like what i consider like a poster movie or like a, a premise movie where you go see it because of what's on the poster which is like brad pitt and Gina jolie as assassins or spies and they're married but they're you know like you, you want that premise so it's like why added all this stuff to it that i like um I feel like a lot of action movies, especially around this era, really fall victim to having too much business going on where you don't need it because it's not really what you came to the movie for. And this movie's already two hours long. So, uh, but it really fills its running time with really meaty stuff between the two actors that you want to see. Or, you know, even, or if they're not together, then they're separately, but talking about each other. Or, um, or it's like really fun action stuff. Like you, like this is the kind of stuff you want from a movie. And, and like, um, I'm really am not surprised at all that this movie was such a box office hit because like it delivers what it promises in a way that's very exciting and fun to watch and just a mainstream kind of pop, you know, pop media movie like a mainstream like movie kind of thing. Yeah, uh, it's it, the plot is like very simple like yeah <laughs> and, and and but not it, that's not a bad thing at all like i mean you're right in that like a lot of action movies a lot of things like this like born identity for example yeah, right i yeah. mean there's like a lot of moving parts you know there's a lot of i guess sort of like double crossing and mystery and what's going on you know that sort of thing yeah and you know this is really just about these two characters relationship and and like you, the, the all of the sort of plot stuff like well why are these people trying to kill them oh well because they're competitors and it's bad for business and that's like literally it you know that's <laughs> right <laughs> I, I, it's so simple i mean one of the things that yeah. they like I, there's a commentary and another commentary with doug lyman and the writer simon kinberg and one of the things that they talk about again and again is how this is it's an action movie, but more than that, it's a romantic comedy and it's structured like a romantic comedy. And, yeah. you know, just with action scenes, you know, it's, it's just kind of like taking that, you know, the, I don't know, battle between, you know, uh, a husband and wife or whatever, and, and sort of making it literal by having them actually trying to kill each other, you know? Yeah, and yeah. I think that that works really well, especially, like, if, if you view the movie through that lens, through as, like, as a romantic comedy instead of as an action movie, like, it's really, really effective. Yeah, I remember reading some of the reviews, um, and they were like, it doesn't really work as an action movie at all, as a negative, and, um, you know, like, I think, like, studio action movies, you know, action comedies like this, you know, you can't really trust the reviews just because, like, I think what makes them work is sometimes how formulaic they can be because it just hits that, those beats perfectly, like Mr. and Mrs. Smith does. And, um, but I think it, it's, it's so, um, it's so great because it's structured like a romantic comedy and it's, you know, played like one too. And it's, um, you know, I like what you say that it's like an, um, it has a structure of romantic comedy because it, it reminded me of the screwball comedies of the 30s and 40s, which 
um, have that sort of battle the sexes element to it. And, you know, I think Mr. and Mrs. Smith falls into the, like, comedy of remarriage subgenre, where it's a couple of breaks up, and then um, they go through their adventures, and they get back together at the end. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like a, uh, you know, The Awful Truth, or His Girl Friday, any, any Philadelphia story, like, it, it's played like that, but instead of the bickering, it's actual fights, which is, it's fun, you know? And I don't... Um, I don't think this movie loses focus of that goal. Actually, I think it really keeps that structure in place and then just fills in the, you know, the banter with really fun action scenes. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, too, is like, if you're going to see an action movie and you're you're going into it thinking like, well, I want a satisfying experience from an action movie, I mean, I think what you're really talking about sort of on a a visceral level is like, you want to see good action sequences. Yeah. And this totally delivers in that regard. So like the, the, the idea that it's like not structured like an action movie or, and that's a bad thing. I, it, that doesn't, (laughs) that doesn't really make much, (laughs) much sense to me because it, it does have a structure that works. It's just not typical. Right, um, but it also has. I mean, I, I wouldn't say typical actions. I, I think is they're kind of atypical because of how well they're done. But yeah, I mean, it's it's really effective. There's things all over the place. How do you drive these things, anyways? Drive. I got it. Move over. Move. I'm the suburban housewife, sweetheart. You move. Fine. Go. 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 Honey, I should probably tell you. I was married once before. Are you out of your mind? What is wrong with you? You're what's wrong with me. He's a drunken Vegas. No, that's better. Stop. No, that's much better. That's right. Stop it. Some big in the truth. 
John, my parents? They died when I was five. I'm an orphan. Who was that kindly fellow who gave you away at our wedding? Paid actor. I said, I said I saw your dad on Fantasy Island. I know. You know, I don't even want to talk about it. You got it? Got it. And I also like how, I mean, maybe this is more of a problem now compared to, you know, 2005, but it's very low stakes for an action movie, right? I mean, like, yeah, there's people trying to kill them, but, like, ultimately it's confined to that one house, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's right, not right. like it's not like the world is going to end. It's not like literally anyone else in the movie is going to be harmed aside from the you know faceless bad guys right it's right. just it's just really about this couple it is so yeah i'm really glad you pointed that out because um it is so refreshing not to have like you know nuclear missiles or bombs or whatever in an action movie and it's just like um it's just focused on this couple and it makes it much for some like i think action movies these days like they kind of um they i think they try to create large stakes to make it more emotional to make the audiences more invested in it but maybe it's just because like you know it's we've had the superhero movies for 20 years now and i'm just everyone i think there's i have a i have a fatigue with that kind of stuff where like i mean as much as i like though i like big action movies but you know, usually when it gets towards the end, there's that big climax. I, my eyes just kind of roll over, and I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. let's just wait till they get back to like the ban like the banter or the character stuff. Like to me, that's more. I find that more investable than you know. Oh my god, the world's gonna end if you know this portal doesn't close or whatever. Um, so it was so it was so refreshing with this movie because again, I remembered it having this sort of big plot to it, but really, it's so simple. Like. You know, even the um, even the Adam Brody part of it turns out to be you know a decoy, which is which I forgot. That was such a I thought it was a really fun twist, and um, I uh, yeah I really felt the low stakes made it more interesting because it made it more grounded on a personal level for the characters, and then then I can enjoy all the over the top action stuff because I the core of the movie was this marriage. Mm -hmm. And and even with all that over the top action, you know, like like you're saying with like the big finale in action movies, how like you know, it's like the boss fight or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. where it's like, oh no, one last thing, and they gotta, you know, and this movie has that, but at the same time, there's never really, I wouldn't say a doubt, but there's never a care that they're going to win, right? Mm -hmm. Because usually it's like, okay, we know where this is going. The good guy is going to defeat the big bad guy and yeah, that'll yeah. be the end of the movie. And here it's like it's that scene, which is a great scene, it's not about them defeating the bad guys. Like we don't even see them really like hit their targets or anything. It's about how they've defeated you know, their their troubled marriage and are now 
you know, uh, a couple again, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's what it's about, and yeah. and that's that's how they you know win. That's the bad guy that they're defeating, and it it works really really well because there isn't that you know I don't know high stakes whatever that's yeah, inevitable yeah. anyway. So yeah. um, I do want to talk about the sporting cast. Um, you know, we have Vince Vaughn. Um, you know, famous. I think his star-making role was in Doug Liman's Swingers, um, yeah. and uh, which is, uh, yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was really funny. He like, um, I I kind of like Vince Vaughn in in these kinds of roles where he's like the funny sidekick because um, he just adds a little bit more bounce to the movie. I mean, as funny as Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are, like they're not comic actors in the same way that Vince Vaughn is. But having Vince Vaughn in it just makes it a little like sells better as a as a comedy for me how about for you yeah i think he's good i I have a feeling like a lot of his stuff is probably just like improvised and everything just because it's like you can just let him go crazy and then see what what happens and um i think that works pretty well uh and you know i I do kind of like the idea of doug lyman sort of you know they came up together right Mm -hmm. you know swingers was what made them both you know Hollywood players or whatever, but now that they've gone their separate ways, they can come back and and he can still get his the, the star of his little indie movie to to be in his hundred million dollar Angelina Jolie Brad Pitt movie. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Carrie Washington, I think before she was truly famous, uh, I almost yeah. didn't recognize her because she looked so young, but. Um, I thought she was great. I mean, I think that um, this movie does that thing that kind of annoys me whenever there's a movie about, like, a couple and they have their own little friends and subplots where it gives more, like, meat or more screen time to, like, the guy and his friends and not, you know, the wife and and her friends. So I feel like Mm -hmm. Kerry Washington was a little underused, although, you know, she wasn't famous, so I imagine that she just didn't command that. (laughs) She didn't command more screen time, but... Um, yeah, she she yeah. had been in a few things up to that point. I think the thing that I kind of knew her from more than anything was She Hate Me. But, yeah, you know, yeah. it's weird because you look at, like, Angelina Jolie's team, and now it's kind of like a who's who of, you know, <laughs> Hollywood. Like, from yeah. like, 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 like three or four years after this, they all became stars. You know, you got, like, uh, um, Jennifer Morrison is in there. Yeah, Michelle Monaghan. Yeah, and and uh, uh, the, the woman, oh God, I forget her name. She was on Entourage as a, a, the, the wife of the agent. Um, she's in there. I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah, crazy. Like, but you know, they're all good. I mean, and that I, I also liked. I mean, just the portrayal, the the difference between, um, you know, Angelina Jolie's team and Brad Pitt's team, and how that really spoke to their different personalities you know yeah like, and how they handle this job you know they're both like elite level assassins they're they, they're both the absolute best at what they do and yet if either of them tried to do it the way that the other one does they would fail miserably i, I like sort of the battle of the sexes where it's like his agents are mostly all men and hers are all yeah. mostly women i thought that was interesting um mm-hmm. Um, I, maybe a little easy 
on the nose, yeah. perhaps, but it's cute. You know, it works for this movie yeah. because, like, ultimately this is a battle the sexes kind of movie, um, so it works out well. I wish there was a little bit more interaction between the two teams, but, um, yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, what did you think about um, Adam Brody? Or what do you think about him in general? I, in general, I love him, you know, and there's another case where, you know, uh, on the OC, you know, Doug Lyman, he he directed the the pilot for the oh, OC really? and everything, and that's yeah, and that's kind of you know Adam Brody, Brody's big start. So now here he is, a couple of years later, brings him into a feature film, and you know that's pretty cool. But yeah, yeah no, I've I've always loved Adam Brody, you know, going back to to the OC, and you know, I mean, he he always seems like this kind of nerdy guy. Maybe it's just because of the role. <laughs> Yeah, that he played well, in that movie, but yeah, yeah. he's been in um, he's been kind of having an interesting streak because I just watched him in Promising Young Woman. Oh yeah, um, yeah awesome. and he was very creepy in that, but very good. And totally uh, playing on his persona. On his persona, there, you know? yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, it's Adam Brody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he's he's really good. And uh, we didn't talk much about Doug Liman, but um, you know he's made one of my favorite action movies of the last ten years, Edge of Tomorrow. Um, and uh, he's someone that I really, I think I like a lot of his movies, but I'm not sure if I would call him like a favorite. But I mean, he's done some pretty good stuff, like The Born Identity, you know, Swingers. Um, I liked American Made as well, but um, yeah. yeah, how do you feel about him? No, I like him a lot. You know, Go, I mean, Swingers I thought was cool, but Go was the one where I was like, oh my God, this guy is amazing and I'm going to see everything that he does, Mm -hmm. you know? So Born Identity didn't really do it for me too much, uh, but Mr. and Mrs. Smith I think is probably his his second best movie. And I mean, sure, he's had some duds like Jumper, you know, it's pretty cool. But I mean, you look at like Fair Game and Edge of Tomorrow, like those are pretty great. Even, you know, I mean, his recent stuff, like, I mean, it was interesting seeing this movie after having just watched uh, Locked Down because it's kind of the same plot. It's it's almost exactly the same plot, you know? It's like a couple who's, you know, on the verge of breaking up, but Mm -hmm. they're forced together due to circumstances they can't control and they're going to try to do like this one big crazy act which you know is is outside the realm of of anything you know outside of a movie and you know hopefully or whatever that'll rekindle their relationship you know it's it's almost the exact same movie um, this, one, this one's a lot better, but you know, right? <laughs> the lockdown is fine. Yeah, yeah. When um, when I made a connection between the two movies, I have not seen Lockdown yet, uh, just because um, as much as I like the actors and Doug Liman, I'm like it just looked a little insufferable. Um, but I was like, oh, maybe Doug Liman is like secretly a good like relationship director that we just haven't given credit for. But I don't think he is. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think I, I was hoping that he would be, but then I was looking at his career again. I was like, I can't, I can't tie it all together like that as much as I would love to. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's not not quite there, but yeah, <laughs> he, he has his moments, and and I mean, locked down. The thing about that is, uh, I mean, it it does get a little a little long at times, and I'm not sure that it all comes together at the end. But I do think um, the cast is so good you know especially Anne Hathaway but um yeah I mean both of them you know are are so good that 
that really kind of makes it worth watching just for that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one last thing I wanted to bring up is um, you tweeted out your like um, the trailers that were attached to this movie, and I was just wondering if you had any like insights about trailers from 15 years ago. I love watching old trailers like that. I find it so yeah. fascinating. Um, and I was watching some of them, and I was like, wow, trailers are so like so different than they are now. <laughs> Definitely. It's kind of, you don't really think about it. You know, you think like, oh, a movie from 2005, that's, you know, yeah, it's a recent yeah. movie, you know? Right. But when you watch it, especially like when you watch it with like the trailers that were attached, you're like, wow, you know? I mean, they, they the movies were really different back then. And um, yeah, I mean, that's just something that I like to do in general is kind of, I, I started it, you know, basically when lockdown started because I was missing the theatrical experience, you know, putting together trailers to watch before a movie. And usually it's just things which are like thematically linked. But um, I was able to find a a thing on a projectionist forum where, you know, projectionists would post like when they would get the prints, they would post all the the print details so that Mm. other people could basically prepare for, for when they get the movie. So I actually found that report and it had a list of like all the trailers that were you know attached and and it shipped in the can and everything. So I'm like, let me just put this together as as I probably did exactly back in 2005. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a pretty yeah. I'm just cool I'm world. looking at the lineup now and it's um, Bewitched with Nicole Kidman yeah. and Will Ferrell, Four Little Virgin, Fantastic Four, and I'm like I can totally see how those movies were. Um, added to Mr. Mrs. Smith because like they, it's like kind of like all three of those movies kind of play into different parts of Mr. Mrs. Smith like the romantic comedy angle the like relationship movie angle the action angle and it's like but I mean yeah it's it's just crazy to think that like I once sat in a theater and saw those trailers and I was probably excited to watch all of them <laughs> yeah I, I saw all those movies and was yeah. like yeah I mean like the the one that really kind of shocked me, I guess, was Bewitched, yeah. because like I remember watching that movie and I remember liking that movie, but seeing that trailer, I'm like, that was the plot of Bewitched. Okay, yeah, yeah, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> yeah, Bewitched <laughs> is like it's a it's a counterproductive movie where it, in some ways, it's kind of like an interesting counterpart to Mr. And Mrs. Smith because uh, I think that movie has a really fun like premise to it or it's just like a modern bewitched like the show bewitched modern version but they they add so much business to it and they complicate it so much and it's just like you leave the movie not satisfied because like you just you didn't get the movie that you wanted to get and the movie that you got wasn't good <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um, and with, with fantastic four i mean I remember seeing that movie and I remember thinking it was bad, but like you watch it now through the eyes of like, you know, the 30 MCU movies or whatever. And you're just like, wow, like they'd figure it out like just three years later. But you look at this and you're like, geez, they really did not know what they were doing just 15 years ago. You know, it's crazy. And it's like, it's dated in a way that like, it's so shocking to me to watch trailers from uh you know even 10 years ago where it's just like 
it just feels so dated in a way that's mm-hmm. like you know I, like I, like you were saying I don't think of 2005 is like that long ago but I mean 15 years in Hollywood I guess is a very long time because like just like the way movies look is different um, yeah, that was uh, another thing which kind of shocked me <laughs> watching the movie. You know, 2005 was right after they started doing like digital intermediates. Yeah. And, you know, the first one was uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And, um, you know, it was like one of those things where at the time it was great because, like, anytime you get a movie like this, which was shot in Super 35, it would be super grainy because you're blowing up the picture and you're going through two extra generations in order to get it on there. And it, I mean, it was like golf ball sized grain, you know, all over the, the film. And when digital intermediates came out, that problem was solved because you're not losing any generations. You can smooth it out as much as you want. But you go, and at the time, you're like, wow, this is amazing. But you look at it now, you know, and it's like, that was really early digital intermediates. And the motion blurring and everything is just so bad. Like, you can see it here. You can really see it in Kill Bill. Like, that movie looks terrible. And it's like, God, you know, if if it was just like, I don't know, three years later, this thing would look so much better. But... <laughs> technology just hadn't quite caught up yet and it's kind of a mushy mess of a transfer you know yeah yeah um absolutely um you know more you know more about this stuff than i do um so i really really appreciate your um your insights on that because like i was watching the movie and being like this looks good but also like not that good in some places and i couldn't quite figure out like was it just dated but yeah i really appreciate your um it, it's your just analysis. i mean it's a weird time in general because technology was yeah. there was like such a massive shift in technology and it was like everyone was trying to figure it out you know yeah, yeah. so you don't get like that that consistent look that you have for you know maybe like 10 or 15 years prior or 10 or 15 years later it's like this weird middle ground and like each movie has like its pros and cons where you're like oh the colors are so good but this other part is like a mess you know yeah it's it's or or vice versa like charlie's angels full throttle you can tell that they were like oh my god the power in our hands is amazing we can do anything (laughs) it's like yeah you can but you know what maybe you should have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this one, I mean, it doesn't look. T- it's just like looking at it now, you know, through today's. Uh, it's like uh, they could have. It could have been better, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think the two thousands is as we get further away from it. I, I find them so fascinating in terms of like movies, and I think especially now when um, you know online and stuff like they're random pockets of social media get really hyped up about a random movie and um just thinking about like that sort of post 90s era is just so um it's just it's it's so unique in a way in how it sometimes feels so blended together but it's like like that like i think a lot of movies kind of had that same like look and vibe to it like it's kind of like noisy action you know, or a lot of, like, too much special effects or, you know, that full throttle thing that you're mentioning. And um, I feel like as it's such a unique era because, like, as you were saying, like, before at, before that and after that, it's such a difference. It's, just like, a more clear um, 
like vision for how the movies should look. So it's so I fascinating mean, it, to me. It's kind of weird, like just with yeah. the action and that like born identity really kind of like changed yeah, action yeah. movies, you know, at that point. I mean, like Casino Royale is like a direct response to born identity and everything. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and yet you look at this, which is the next action movie from the director of born identity. And he, he doesn't do that. Right. Like he, like what everyone latched onto and said, like, this is the new gold standard for action. He's like, no, that you're, you're looking at the wrong thing. Like I can still do action, which is just as good as born identity, but not in that same style. I, I don't yeah. know. That's, it's kind of fascinating in that regard. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, this, I feel like Mr. And Mrs. Smith got maybe a little forgotten just because like it didn't continue the um, the trend from Born Identity. Mm-hmm. And I think like many trends, I think people lost uh, or didn't learn the right lesson from it. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I, cause, I mean, I think Casino Royale is a much better movie than the Born Identity. Um, yeah. And I think Casino Royale does a lot of really great things. Um, but I think a lot of the copycat action movies from the born identity didn't also take the like character work that that movie does and definitely not the character work that this movie does mm-hmm. um but mr and mrs smith does by fo- like just by focusing on this like romance just makes this movie much stronger even if it doesn't have this like inventive action but i also think the action in mr and mrs smith is like just more clear and more streamlined yeah. and more personal more intimate and more exciting for for all those reasons yeah, it's probably the most polished of all of Lyman's movies. I mean, maybe maybe not, but it seems like it. All the ones that I care about, anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, like he 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 has that sort of like very indie mentality, you know, that yeah. he brings to to all of his work, which I think is one of the reasons why it works so well. But here, it really kind of feels, at least, like he's trying to do like a big studio glossy thing and and it works works really well though yeah yeah Yeah. do you have any final thoughts on mr mrs smith um before you finish up here um i i guess i would just say that you know seeing it now which i I probably haven't seen it for a good you know five or ten years it it maybe works better for me than than it did even back then it's certainly something which has uh uh, I don't know. My, my esteem for it has grown, you know, over the years, and I'm yeah, really glad yeah. that I was able to to rewatch it. But I, I also think that you know, since I have seen, you know, all of Doug Liman's movies since and everything like that, you know, going back and revisiting this now through through those eyes, it, it it's kind of interesting to to place it in the the context of his overall career. Yeah, I agree. I think this movie uh, really. Um, really holds up and is really a fun movie to watch. I think it has a lot of fun. It does um, it does a really really cool things with um, relationships and action movies and uh, you know liter- literalizing the screwball battle the sexes dynamic is endlessly fun and um, I think for all the sort of you know celebrity gossip that came from this movie, it really like just sustains all that and um, it doesn't get. I feel like it. I think it does. It did get lost in all of that, but I think that if people go back and watch it again, I think they'll be very surprised, like I was. It was very entertaining, very fun movie to watch, and I'm really glad that you mentioned it. 
Oh, I'm uh, glad that you had me on to talk about it. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. And where can people find you online? What are you working on these days? Um, well, I, I do a show here on, on Talk Film Society, uh, which is, uh, well, got a few episodes left in it called Trek Film Society, where uh, along with Marcelo Pico and Diego Crespo, we, we take a look at all of the Star Trek movies and pair them with episodes from the various shows and look at it through a more critical eye. Uh, but you can also find me on my website, filmdamagepod.com, where we do a show called Film Damage, which is all about uh, film projection, uh, time travel movies, like looking at the time travel to see if it actually works from like a logical perspective, which it oh, doesn't. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and and that and then we also do commentaries for all the new Star Trek episodes as they air over there. And you can find me on the Nerd Party News, the Nerd Party News, on thenerdparty.com. Where we just talk about the news each week. And you can also find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. Great, yes. Be sure to follow Mike on social media and all of his amazing, entertaining projects. I really want to listen to the um, time travel. <laughs> that sounds so yeah. fun. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's kind of crazy because, you know, you start breaking down Back to the Future and you're like, this is a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but we need to do Edge of Tomorrow for sure. Yeah, that's, oh my that's God. certainly that's on the list. One of my, yeah, one of my favorite action movies and um, definitely one that I'm sure will uh, be very fun to talk about through that lens. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter at themanish89. Also, follow the podcast at you. Uh, please remember to rate, review, subscribe to the show. Also, next our next episode after this will be the two-year anniversary of this podcast, so I have something very exciting and, and fun planned for you all, listeners, so please stay tuned for that. Mike, thanks again so, so much for coming on the show, and um, yeah, I'm really, really glad to have watched this again. I had a great time chatting with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so listeners, thanks for listening, and have a great day. Bye.